All right, good. While they're passing that out, um, I, uh, we're in a series called Everybody Knows. This is part two. And um, I stole the title from a game. It's called Everybody Knows. It's a little game that you have. And in this game, it has cards in it of questions that everybody knows. So there's two ways you can play this. One is individually. For instance, if you're playing it individually, I would be the one that would read the question and then one person would say the answer. And there's 10 questions that you have to do in one minute. And so you'd flip the timer, I'd read the questions, they'd have to answer, I'd mark the ones that you got wrong and the ones that you got right would be your points. So let's say you got two wrong and eight right, you would have eight points. And then you go to the next person and it's five rounds of that. The better way to play it is actually in groups. For instance, women and men. And so the women will go in a group and the men would go in a group. You'd read the same set of questions, except all the women would have to write down their answers and those answers would have to agree with every woman in the room. So you wouldn't get credit unless every woman had the right answer. Same thing with the men. If every man had the right answer, you would actually you know, get the points, which is a lot, a lot more fun because you can make fun of people at that point. So um, it, it just give you an example of some of the questions. Um, greenish or bluish moss-like living organism that grows inside a fish tank over time. That is algae, obviously. Which TV theme song starts, here's a story of a lovely lady? Brady Bunch, right. What is the plural of calf? Calves, very good. Um, precious, do what? Calves, yeah. <clears throat> That's because they're less significant in England. <laughs> precious shiny objects produced made inside oysters. Pearls, yeah, so you, so you get it. So what I have done is I've created a Christian, like, some Christian questions. So what I want you to do is I'm going to read these, and I would like you to answer them to your neighbor out loud, okay? They're, everybody should know these. Everybody should know these. So don't get too, like, I might not know the answer. You should know the answers to these. So here's the first one. What is the name of the church at 1835 Farmington Road? Yes, it is Farmington Baptist Church. Everybody knows that, right? Here's the next one. Um, this man died on the cross to take the punishment for the sins of everyone in the world. Yeah, Jesus, absolutely. If you got that wrong, you are not saved. So I'd like to see you after the service to help you out with that. All right, next. The name of our current series. Okay, so here's a tricky one. This is a tricky one, a little bit harder, a little bit harder question. And this is it. The time of day most people got out of bed in Greece. Is it morning or noon? So say that to your neighbor. Morning or noon. And the answer to that question is noon, because dawn is tough on Greece. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for that. <laughs> Turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we are today. We're going to begin reading with verse 6. <clears throat> so basically, you got the last one right, too, even if you said morning. That's fine. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 1. We'll begin reading verse 6. <clears throat> and 
this is part two of last week. It's really a full sermon, so part two of it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, gotcha. Okay. I was like, wow, he really enjoyed last week's message. That's, that's what I was like. Yeah, man. I feel you. I enjoyed it too. Had the same sort of deal. Okay, verse six. It says this. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So these people became imitators. We talked about that last week. Verse 7. So that you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So we need not say anything because everybody knows about you. Verse 9, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. So what he is saying is there are people that are in the world that I meet, this is Paul and Savannah and Timothy, that no matter where they go, they hear about the church in Thessalonica. They hear about these people and their faith and how it has totally changed their lives, has totally changed their lives. And so they imitated the Fab Three. They imitated them because they preached the message of the gospel. They wondered how to live it. And so they copied what Paul was living, what Savannah was living, what Timothy was living, and they lived it. And in copying that, in imitating that, they had created an environment. An environment that people could come into and get exposed to what it meant to be a Christian and how to live it. So it was a Christian, a positive Christian environment. One of my best, one of my favorite uh, leadership guys is John Maxwell. And John Maxwell will tell you that if you take a good leader and place that good leader in a good environment, he will grow. Yes, there will be at times where, um, you know, he reads things and he's taught things from the people in the group. There'll be times where there are leadership lessons. But really, the growth happens because that leader will catch good leadership from the other good leaders and the environment that they create. He also says that you can take a good leader and place them in a bad leadership environment, and that leader will not grow. Now, there might be some lessons on leadership and some leadership principles that are taught, but because it is a bad environment, because it, the leader will not grow, they will either remain the same or they will go down, right? They'll become worse leaders because you catch what you're exposed to. So if you are in a group of good leaders, you're going to catch some good leadership practices from those good leaders. If you're in a... Uh, system of bad leaders, you are going to get some bad habits and go down. It is the same way with Christians. If you are going to an environment that is a good, healthy Christian environment, you will catch things that can't be taught. For instance, I can preach to you all day long, and you can read the Bible all day long, and you can, you can hear all that, but if you are in an environment, a Christian environment, you catch things that are nonverbal, how to act, how to work, how to live. If you go to a bad Christian environment, you are going to start having problems with your theology and your walk with Jesus. Somewhere down the line, it is going to go off the track a little bit, and you'll catch it. If you're a good Christian, you'll catch it. 
And you'll think, well, why am I living this way? Well, the reason I'm living this way is because I'm not in a good Christian environment. And so we expose ourselves, what we expose ourselves to, we really become at some level. This is very, very important. Because if we're imitating and we are exposing other people to good Christian values and the way to live your Christian life, they not only are going to change their lifestyles and find Jesus, but they're also going to talk about it outside of that environment. This is a great environment. We love going there. There's just something special about it. Everybody seems to like everybody. Everybody seems to love everybody. Everybody seems to be for everybody. And out here, it doesn't seem to be that way, right? And so they talk about it. So environments are very important. Um, It's not like a home run hit, though. Do, do you know what I mean? Just because you're in a Christian environment doesn't mean that you're going to follow the Christian principles. Just because you've submerged your children into a Christian environment doesn't mean that they are going to follow that later in life. It doesn't mean that. But this is what it means. You have a better chance of your children and you Living the Christian life, if you are surrounded by good Christians, than if you're not surrounded by good Christians. In fact, you have a, a better chance to live faithfully for Jesus in a healthy Christian environment than you do living in the world all by yourself as a Christian. You have a better chance of actually owning up to it and, and actually living it out. I know that there are families that do not allow their house to maintain a Christian environment, and it has an impact on that family. It has an impact on that family. I also know uh, families that have a great Christian environment. And yes, their kids and them sin from time to time. But let me tell you, it is not as bad as it would have been if that environment had not been strongly Christian. There is a drawback to the truth. So this imitating thing is very important, and it, ought, it not only helps people grow and you catch things, but it also goes out and it spreads as a message. We talk a lot about Jesus Christ being the incarnate God. He came in the flesh and dwelt among us, right? And that is the first level of incarnation. The second level is this. The Holy Spirit has predestined everybody that has received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior to become into the image of Jesus Christ. That's second level incarnation. My life is on a pathway, as long as I'm following Jesus, to become more like him, to become more like his image. And I can't do that. I cannot become that person unless I am a part of the body of Christ, a church. That is where we get our fuel for all of that. Yeah, could I be alone somewhere, be saved, and God accomplish the same thing? Absolutely. But God has ordained that the church, being healthy, is part of that process of becoming more like Jesus Christ. Does this make sense? We learn things from the scriptures. We learn the principles. But at the same th time, there are some things that you just catch, Right? You just catch from people without really knowing what it is, but you begin to live like that. You catch it, you feel it, you know it's good, and you emulate that. And that is what these people um, in Thessalonica were doing. Now, this continues, verse 9. It says, 
For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception uh, we had among you and how you turn to God from idols. And right there is the first verb that we've had. And what he's doing is he's saying, look, I want to tell you how you can create an environment where people can catch the spirit of Christianity and be led to Jesus. I want to show you what that environment is so that people can talk about you that you don't even know. So people can be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first thing that he talks about is he says, um, we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols. Now that particular word turn means you turn away from something. So, So you're part of something and you turn away from it. Other scriptures would put it this way. Um, Next screen. Friends, why are you doing this? We are only human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and earth and sea and everything in them. What was being said about these people is they had turned from their wicked ways. They had turned from doing wrong. They are not living like they used to live. They have turned for something toward something. It's a turn. Now, this turn uh, is very important because I think that there are some people that have professed to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, but their concept of salvation is this. I am walking on this path and... Oh, Jesus is just another opportunity for me, so I will ask forgiveness of my sins and ask him to be my savior. And they take Jesus and make him a part of their pathway that they're already on. That isn't the way salvation works. Salvation isn't Jesus joining you. Salvation is you joining Jesus. You are lost on a wide pathway to destruction, and you do not ask Jesus to come join your life, you ask him to give you new life and, uh, and give it to you abundantly. That's what you do. You don't ask him to come along. You might think that this is nuts, that nobody really thinks this, but they do. Listen, we live in a culture that says, you love me if you accept the way I'm living. You, you don't like me unless you accept my pathway that I have chosen to go on. That is my identity. We live in a culture like this, and that has bled over into Christianity. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ would have wasted his blood on the cross if all he was doing was joining you. But he didn't waste it. He shed it so that you could join him. The point of salvation is a turn from a bad lifestyle to Jesus and his abundant lifestyle. That's what it is. Now, a turn is not a 180. I don't know if you know this or not. It's not a 180. See, if I'm walking on a pathway and I have lived this life behind me, are you, are you following me? And, and I received Jesus and I decided to turn, do a 180, I'm going back in the same direction I came in. Living the life that I used to live, right? That, that's not what this word means. This word means that you turn your back on your current lifestyle and you face Jesus. So let's erase this, wipe it, wipe it away, right? This is my direction. 
before Jesus and I'm walking down this path and then I receive Jesus as my savior, sometimes the turn is a 90 degree turn. I'm leaving this path and I'm following Jesus this way and I'm leaving this behind. For some people, it's a 45 degree turn, right? So you do a 45 degree turn and you start walking and you leave that pathway behind. The point is, is that you're turning your back on the way that you used to live and the sins that you used to commit and you're following Jesus because he is the way, the truth, and the life. That's what you do. You turn from things. And when you turn from a way of life that is sinful and when you follow Jesus, you have a marked difference in your life and it's a marked difference that people talk about. It's a marked difference that people talk about. By the way, you can never see Jesus if your back is to him. Right? You can never see Jesus if your back is to him. And if you are following your own way and wondering where Jesus is, well, maybe you're not facing him. Have you ever thought about that? Maybe the reason I can't see Jesus in this moment is because I'm not living right and I'm not facing him. Maybe what I need to do is I need to turn and face Jesus so that I can see him and where he wants me to go. So you turn. It's sometimes it's a 9 degree, sometimes 45 degrees, but it's never a 180 or you'll be going back the same way you came. It's always off the pathway this way and you leave this stuff behind. You turn your back to the stuff that was already destroying your life. Why on earth do we turn back to this stuff? Why on earth do we do that? Now you might be thinking, well, Philip, you didn't read... You read that whole thing, but you haven't talked about turn from idols. I don't, you might be thinking, I don't have any idols in my house, like wood carvings in my house. There's nothing set up. Is there anybody in here that does woodwork, woodwork at all? Nobody. In the first service, we had several people that do woodwork, and they raised their hands. Those people aren't going to make you an idol, right? Some type of image that you can set up in your house right, that you could worship, they're, they're not going to do that. And that's probably not a good idea for you to go seek that out and put something in your house either. Um, I've read the Old Testament. God doesn't smile too kindly on all that stuff. It's, it's, not a good, it's not a good vibe for Christians. But let me explain to you some of the idols that you might have that aren't carven images, but you have them instead. I think number one um, could be your children. Parents often make their children their idols, and they do this in, in several ways. Number one, they start dressing like them, talking like them, being their best friend. That, that's not your job. You're, you're the parent. And if you're old, you don't need to be dressing like you're 16. I went to Walmart yesterday. We were picking up some stuff for Quinn. He's, in 10 days, he'll be moving to Liberty and, and doing the Liberty thing and the college thing. We're picking up stuff, and lo and behold, there are, I don't know if you know this, but people go to Walmart, and there were some people that were too <laughs> quit dressing like your teenager. We don't need to see all those roles. <laughs> we just don't need to see all that. And it's not something that I want to see, Right? 
And, you know, you find these people, and they have on these pants and stuff, and they're dressing just like their kid. They look identical. It's almost like they shopped at the same spot. This one family, the mother was wearing the exact same outfit as the daughter, exactly the same. They bought it at the same spot, which for most women, that doesn't, you don't like that, right? You don't like another woman wearing your stuff, right? Most people, well, these people were crazy enough to do it as mother and daughter, and they're just walking through Walmart, and I could not for the life of me get away from them. Do you ever try to get away from these people? Like you go down a different aisle so you don't have to look at them, but lo and behold, you're going down this aisle, and they come down this way. So what do you do? You know, right? But the point of this is this. If you are making your children your best friend, you have made them your idol. They're starting to dictate the way that you act, what you wear, what you say. Parents are supposed to be parents. Parents. Do we love our children? Absolutely. Do we want to be involved in our children's lives? Absolutely. Do we want our children to love us? Absolutely. Do I have a witness? I mean, we want them to love us. We want them to be around us. But the way to get that to happen is not to become like them. You have to remain their parents. But there's other ways that parents make their kids idols. They follow them everywhere they go. Everywhere they go. Now listen, I have two. I went to every swim meet. I I tried to make it to everything that they were involved in. I'm not talking about that. I think you should be there. I think you should be there for the basketball games, the the football games, the the stuff that they're involved in, all that kind of stuff. But you don't need to follow you don't need to follow them everywhere and do everything that they're doing. At some point in time, you have to let them go. I have one that has graduated college, and I have another going to college, and I get it. I would love to just move to Lynchburg and commute here on Sundays. I think it would be awesome. You know, it'd be the best of both worlds. I may show up every now and then on Wednesday, right? It's just a two and a half hour drive. I could be down here, do my thing, and go back up there and study and not have to worry about anything else, right? It would be quite the life, and I would be around my children, but I can't do that. When you start molding your life around where your children are, that is the moment that your children have become an idol in your life. Do they need to be important? Absolutely. Do you need to shower them with your love? Absolutely. But you need to make sure that your children do not become your idol. And if you pause just a moment, you already know people that do this. Their children are their idols. Here's the second one. Yourself. I think this is the most common one. We make ourselves our own idols. We worship ourselves from time to time. All of us do. If, you, if you've ever been in a moment where you didn't get your way, whether it was a restaurant or something that was bought in your home or something like that, and you pitched a fit about it, that is the moment that you became um, the idol. And it's not just men, it's women too. Okay? We all do this from time to time. We make ourselves idols. I was listening to a, to a message um, just a few days ago, and this guy was saying that uh, you should have a priority list in your life, and it should be God, family, and you. But no. If you are on your list, you're an idol. Right? That's not a priority list. I know that we live in a society where we have to take mental moments, where we have to just take a moment to gather ourselves together and have, have some self-time. Okay? Great. Breathe, sing kumbaya, come back to reality. But you can't have that as a priority in your life. It needs to be other people. We are called as believers to serve others. Serve others. 
And it is amazing mentally what happens when you take seriously serving other people and you put other people first. It's amazing what happens to your demeanor. When you are self-focused, you will always struggle with a lot of emotional baggage. But when you start, man, really trying to minister to people and serve other people, that stuff just goes to the side. Because what you realize is you can do more good for others than you can for yourself. And you feel better about it. So you, you learn this. So sometimes that becomes your idol. Let, let me ask you a question. You may, maybe neither one of those are your idols. I would submit the second one probably is. You have to really guard against that one. But nonetheless, let me ask you this question. What in your life gets most of your affection? What in your life changes your behavior? What in your life would you say that you could not give up and you want this to be a part of your life for the rest of your life? If it's anything but God, that's an idol. What changes you? I am not against sports. I don't want you to take that. But I've noticed that when certain sports seasons happen, people change, right? They change into their, their Dallas Cowboys. I'm not making fun of I'm not making fun of you. Yeah. Yeah. I got a witness in the back. Okay. Dallas Cowboys stuff. And it, and they change, they change their demeanor and they change the way that they act and they change everything about them. I am not saying that you cannot be a, a football fan. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that you can't wear a jersey. But if that particular thing takes over your life and it's what you worship and what you live for, that is the moment that it's become an idol. For some people, it's golf. I, I don't understand golf that much. I understand how to play it, maybe, but not really. But golf, but some people get so inundated with golf that they buy every everything like nice nice shoes with like little pleats on them so that when they swing they won't fall down I guess that's what they're for so you can keep your feet steady I've never had a problem keeping my feet steady I have thought that maybe Nicole needed to get some of these for her shoes and they needed to be long spikes that, that could sit in the ground so she wouldn't fall I have permission to tell that joke by the way so don't feel uncomfortable and she's not here so that's the other <laughs> other part, portion too but she's perfectly fine with that she she can trip on a solid surface. So she kind of needs that. But people buy these nice shoes, these nice clubs, these nice golf balls, and nice shirts. I mean, it's really nice. It is okay to play golf. It is absolutely okay to play golf. It is okay to be 40 and have a birthday and go down to Myrtle Beach and enjoy some golf games. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But if golf encompasses your whole life and that's what you think about, that is your idol. You think about that all the time, like, when's my next golf game? When can I do this in golf? And golf and golf and golf. That's when it becomes your idol. What gets your affections? What gets your affections? The only thing that should get your affections, the only thing that should change your life in any degree is God. Is God. He's the one that should have that control. He is the one that you should worship. He is the one that you should change for so that you can be more like him. It's okay to put on golf stuff. It's okay to love baseball. It's okay to get stuff and support your team. But there is a moment that you need to make sure that it doesn't become your idol. Here's another verse. It says this, But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, 
how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? By the way, that's where I get the 180 from. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? Galatians 4, chapter 9. And go to the next verse. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. There is understanding when you turn to the Lord. So that's the first verb verb in verse 9. And here's the second one. It says, la, 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 and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. To serve the living and true God. You see, when you turn to Jesus, it is a moment where you decide that you want to serve Jesus in any capacity possible. Now, I'm not going to labor this one for a very long period of time. I'm going to just say something for about two or three minutes and just let this go, because this church really serves the Lord very well. I mean, they, they volunteer. It's really nice. But I do want to say that we, we do have some places where we need people to help work, right? So Awana is starting this, this fall, and we need some people to help, and a Fuel is starting this fall. There's a chicken stew coming up this fall. We need some tech help in the back. You can even join the worship team if you wanted to. You can sing up here. You can play up here. You can be a part of this. There's Bible studies. We're looking for Bible study teachers as well for kids and, and other places. And you can find these places to serve God in your bulletin. There's a place you can go. You can scan a QR code after the service, and you can find a place where you can plug in. The point of all of that is this. If you love Jesus, you will be serving Jesus. It, it's just part of it. At the first part of this message last week, we talked about faith and then faithfulness. This is part of being faithful. You serve Jesus being faithful to him, serving him because you love him. So these people were being talked about because not only were they living their lives differently, and it was kind of just strange that they were not participating in all this other stuff that everybody else in the culture was. It was just kind of strange. But these people actually were serving God in a significant way, and what was being talked about was they were not being paid for it. Like, they were not being paid for it. Every year, well, except for one, 2020, we, we've had the Chicken Stew Plus. And the comments from the community is, first of all, they can't believe it's free, that they come here and they just get Chicken Stew, and they can participate in all this, and we don't charge them anything. That's it's a mind-blowing thing. By the way, um, biblically, a church is supposed to be supported by the tithes and offerings of its people, not by selling things and making 50%. It's nowhere in the Bible, okay? Now, you can sell your land and give the whole thing to the church. I mean, we're for that, okay? Because it's an Acts, right? They sold land, gave it to the church. We're good with that because it's biblical. But nonetheless, it, it's, that's how the stuff here is supported. So people in the community can come and they can get fed for free and we can minister to them for free and it's really all free. They don't have to pay for that. And some of the comments is, well, can I give money to this? And we try to tell people not to give money. These people give money. But some of them, there's a certain percentage of them that leave money on, on the table, on these round tables out here, and you have to do something with it, so there's people that pick it up and they put it into the offering, but I think that's kind of nice, and the second thing is they can't believe that all these people are running the chicken stew and the, and the um, trunk or treat and the tractors and the box maze, and they're all doing it for free. 
They're dedicating their time and effort. They're not being paid for it. It is an amazing thing. And it is a witness to what you actually love. Because what we are saying is, we love Jesus and the people he died for more than getting paid. That's what we're saying. So people talk about that, and they come here. Now, the thing that we're, we're really selling, but we're not accepting money for it, is the gospel. That's what we're pushing. And they can get that free, too. It's a free gift from Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so that's why we serve. So people can talk about this place, they can talk about what happens, and they can feel the love of Christ in everything that we do. Okay, so that's the second verse. Here, here's the second verb, sorry. Here's the last verb. It's found in verse 10. <clears throat> it says this. And to wait for his son from heaven, wait is the verb, whom he raised from the dead, that's God the Father raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. We wait on Jesus and that creates a certain type of environment, doesn't it? Um, Nicole and her brother and her sister, when they were little, were members of a pool. And their, their mom worked, and she got home from work every day at 2.20. 2.20 was when she got home. For every morning that <clears throat> mama went to work, she left a list of chores for the kids to do before she got home so that they could go to the pool. If the list of the stuff was not done, they didn't go to the pool. They just didn't. And so they would, they would linger in bed all morning. They would eat and kind of piddle around, play some video games. They would even fight with each other, okay? Fight with each other and, and do that sort of thing in the house. You know how it goes when you have siblings. Fight with each other. But at quarter till two, they all came together with one united purpose to get that list done that mama had left earlier that morning. And so from 1.45 to 2.20, expecting mama to come home and inspect. And let me tell you something about my mother-in-law. She is so stinking particular. White glove, I mean, white glove, the whole deal. It has to be done to her standards, not yours. Right? I'm not making fun of it. This is just a reality. We all know it about her. That's what she is. So these kids had to do it to her standards. So they had to have it done by 2.20, and they busted. They tried their best to get it done and got the list done every day before 2.20 when she arrived because they knew she was coming to take them to the pool. Ladies and gentlemen, you and I need to be cleaning up everything in our life because Jesus could return at any moment. We should be serious about this thing. If you knew the time that Jesus was coming, you would wait to the last moment to clean up everything in your life. Get rid of everything that shouldn't be in your house. Get rid of everything that you shouldn't be listening to. Stop doing everything that you shouldn't be doing. You would get rid of everything that you could possibly think of because you knew Jesus was coming back at a certain moment. He didn't tell you and me when he was coming back because he expects us to live in a Christian environment all the time serving him, turning and following him with our entire life so that our environments are ready when he returns. We wait. And as we wait, we live like he could come back in the next 
moment. And ladies and gentlemen, that should guide your next decision, the next thing that you do, the next time that you're tempting, it should guide everything that you do. Jesus could come back. And listen, there's been time in my, times in my life that I'm really thankful he didn't come back in that moment. You ever, be, you ever spout off stuff to your wife and you're just really glad Jesus didn't come, come back? Come on. Come on. Well, okay. Well, I, I get it, ladies. Have you ever been spouting off stuff at your husband and we're glad that Jesus didn't come back at that particular moment? I, I understand why you're quiet. I get it. Yeah, I get it. You're included. We equal, you know, equal. Men, women, all, all sinners. Right? All, right? Right? There's stuff that women have done that they're like, I'm glad that Jesus didn't come back right then. And there's stuff that guys have done that I'm glad that Jesus didn't come right back then. We should live our life at all times, as if Jesus was going to return. It should guide what we say. It should guide how we act. It, it should guide everything that we do. Because if anyone knows your heart, it is Jesus. And when he returns, he's going to know exactly what you're doing. And you need to be serving him and following him. If you truly wait on Jesus to come back, Serving him and following him is no problem. If you really believe that he could come back at any moment. I personally would like him to come back before my colonoscopy on Tuesday. <laughs> or maybe before I start the prep. I think that would be nice. Like before you start drinking. Do you know what I mean? I would love for him to come back then. So I'm living my best life right now. Right? Living my best life right now. So anyway. So Jesus coming back, and you wait for him, you wait for him, you wait for him. He is coming. Um, does anybody have a house like mine where you, sometimes you're sitting in the car and you're waiting on somebody to get to the car so that you can leave? Oh, thank you. <clears throat> thank you. We have some people, you have some, yeah, we have some people in here, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> And, and what you're thinking sometimes is, what are they doing? Like in the what what are they, what are they doing? You're looking at your watch. It's three or four minutes. And what in the world are these people doing? Listen, I've done it before. In fact, I have gone into the car and forgot something inside. Had to go back in in and get it. Right, like my watch. And while for some reason, while you're walking to get your watch, you remember like five things that you didn't do before you left. You, you ever do that? Yeah, I've done it before. So it's not just other people in my life and my family. It's also me too. That sometimes you sit there and you wait and you're like, what in the world are they doing? And so I am so patient <laughs> that I get out of my car and go inside the house and ask, what in the world are you doing? <laughs> we <laughs> got to leave. That's how patient I am, right? You, yeah, don't blow the horn. You should wait on Jesus that way. Do you know what I mean? You're already in the car ready to go to heaven. You're already anticipating him to come. And in the back of your mind is, what in the world is Jesus doing? What could he possibly be getting out of heaven that he couldn't just go ahead? Maybe he's trying to tame that white horse. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. Maybe he's trying to do that. 
But that anticipation of, man, I just wish that he would come so I could get out of here. Right? I wish that he could come so that I could get out of here. And that tension, that is the tension that we, we should live with. Oh, just come, go ahead and come. Come on, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. And the moment you get there is the moment that your life changes for the better. There's never a thought of if you're going to serve the Lord. There's never a thought of if you're going to follow him or not. You are always going to do that because you're waiting for him to appear. That's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing. Um, I didn't know how to put this last part in, into this thematically, but I, I just need to do it, okay? So this will be kind of thematically kind of odd. Well, you might be thinking, well, all of it has been. But nonetheless, verse 10 says this, And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. You know, you and I are going to get sick in this life. It's going to come. Uh, there are things that are going to happen to us. Some of us are going to be in car accidents. I'm not trying to do doom and gloom, but percentage-wise, we're going to be involved in car accidents. We're going to be involved in some things that are less than positive that are going to happen to us. What I love about this is for the believer, the one thing that we will never, ever experience is the wrath of Jesus Christ. He delivers us from that. We will never have to endure it. We'll never have to, to um, feel it. Nothing at all. He delivers us from the wrath to come. And that is an absolute blessing. By the way, um, you, may have, <clears throat> you may remember, you may not, but we've talked about faith, love, and hope this whole time that we've been in First Thessalonians, right? Faith, love, and hope. I want to attach those to three, those three verbs right there. First of all, faith is turning from your old lifestyle to Jesus. Love is serving Jesus with your whole heart. And hope is Jesus is going to return. He's going to return. Faith, love, and hope. So everybody take your card that you got out. Flip it on, over on the back. Grab a pen. <clears throat> back of it. And what I want you to do is I want you to write in that little box right there, I want you to write what you want everybody to know about you. So just take a moment to write in that box what you want everybody to know about you. There's pens on the back of the, of the pews if you need those. So just take a few moments, write down what everybody, what you want everybody to know about you. you want everybody to know about you. Then I have a question. Might have two. <laughs> Does everybody know that about you now? If they don't, there are some changes that you need to make. Because I'm sure that what you want everybody to know about you in that box is something positive and probably attached to faith, love, and hope in some, in some area. So if they don't, you have some work to do. If they do, if the majority of people do know that about you, you also have your work cut out for you. Because you need to take this and 
have, use it as a constant reminder that this is what I want people to know about me. And so I'm going to make sure that nothing messes that up. I want people to say this at my funeral. I want people to say this as I'm still working with them, preferably before the funeral. I want people to say this about me when I go to Walmart. I want people to say this about me no matter where I go. I want people to know this about me. And that is what you live for right there, whatever you put in that box. Now, if you have some decisions to make, if you need to pray and ask God to help you with that, the altar is open at this time, and you can come forward and kneel here at the altar and say, Lord, I want people to see me in a better light. Please help me with that. So let's stand and sing this closing number. I'm going to pray. And you can stand. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. Thank you for this challenge. Father, I pray for people in the room that may have never turned from their sin and turned toward you. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is pulling them to salvation. I pray, Father, that they will respond to that pull on their heart and they'll receive you as their savior and they'll turn from their destructive way of life toward you and life abundantly. I ask that you be with the people in this room that are Christians that may not have made good Christian environments in their home. They haven't lived the way that they were supposed to live. They haven't really followed you outside of Sunday morning. And today they want to change that. I pray that you push the enemy away and open up a pathway for them to make a decision to follow you with their whole heart and to live facing you, live serving you, and live waiting on you. I pray for each home that's represented this morning, that each one of us will live in such a way that our environments will be very contagious for Christian values and the way that you want people to live. And not only will it change the lives of the people that are involved in our homes, but also that people outside of our homes will talk about it and how different it is. And that you'll use that as seeds to bring people to your son, to a saving knowledge that you sent him to die for. So, Father, help us to be known as people that follow you. We leave all that at your feet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's sing the words of this song. I'm here.